You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to another riveting episode of Felony Inc. Podcast. I'm your host, DJ Dick Hennessy, and as always, broadcasting from my living room in the majestic, scenic, southeast Portland area. And oh, what a beautiful day it is in Portland, Oregon today. My goodness. Meg, I know you're happy about that. Love sunshine, Dick. I love it. Portland yep. sunshine forever. Uh, I'm actually a big fan myself. Um, in a society that houses the largest inmate population on Earth, anything that can be done to curb the recidivism rate is incredibly valuable, and that is what we attempt to do one episode of time here at Felony Inc. Podcast. Our guest today is Sean Beers from Portland Product Works. But first, uh, Meg, how you doing? How's your week been? I have a brand new puppy, Dick. She is just eight years old, and it is an incredible distraction from the sort of cultural crisis layer cake we're living in. She's like a furry little hot water bottle who keeps me up all night. I can dig it. It's better than anxiety keeping me up all night, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. It makes a big difference. Uh, what's the puppy's name? <laughs> Violet. Violet. All right. Yeah, she's an itty-bitty ferocious beast. I can't get enough of her. Well, I'm looking forward to weekly updates on the show about how Violet's doing. <laughs> um, Sean, uh, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just uh, typical, busy, shot out of the cannon Monday morning, and um, all's good, and, and uh, happy to be back on the show. Happy to have you back, man. Four times. Uh, I think that's a record. I think you're the, the now making you the most uh, return guest in uh, Felony Inc. podcast history. Uh, what I thought to do, I thought I'd do today just to kind of for the people and also for Meg because it's her first time interviewing you as well. I'm just going to read a little quick bullet point list of uh, stuff that you're involved with so we can kind of get that uh, you know under wraps and then begin yep. with the uh, how things have been going recently, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. All right, so let's start with uh, so Sean. Uh, Sean Beers had an interesting uh, upbringing and uh, situation early on. Uh, you were raised an upper middle class childhood, uh, very normal, very happy. Inevitably went down the wrong path, got busted twice with large quantities of cocaine. Uh, the final time ended up in uh, L.A. County Jail. Uh, you got busted with two keys, and you were put in there on day one of the Rodney King riots, which is uh, outlandish. Somehow, through all that, you managed to graduate with an accounting degree from Linfield College. Uh, You fought, subsequently afterwards, fought the Oregon State Bar at the Oregon Supreme Court and won the admission to practice law in the state of Oregon, setting a legal precedence. So I'm all about setting legal precedences. (laughs) Kind of legendary status. Uh, Today, Sean is a licensed attorney and certified public accountant. Served 11 years at Columbia Sportswear Company in a variety of professional roles. Sean was also integral into the successful turnaround of the Soro brand as the general manager, growing it from bankruptcy to $50 million in footwear and apparel revenue. In 2012, Sean raised $1 million and launched Portland Product Works. Uh, For those that don't know, Portland Product Works is a foundation for bringing established brands into the footwear world 
and enabling accelerated growth for emerging brands through acquisition and season management. To this day, Sean is constantly and always on the hunt for Portland Product Works' next license or acquisition, and uh, I completely understand that. Also, this is really cool. Sean also works with the startup community in Oregon through his work with the Portland Development Commission, where he teaches a curriculum based on his own experiences as an entrepreneur. And on top of all that, Sean is an avid fly fisherman and a music enthusiast. Sean, have you had a chance to go fly fishing at all since this whole uh, COVID outbreak? I did manage to get out to the Deschutes uh, on a couple trips in May, so I got I got a little bit in. I'm uh, I'm about 30 days away from a major uh, hip surgery, so I could only uh, move around so much. But I did get out and managed to, uh, to catch some trout while I was out there, so it was good. I'm glad to hear that. Always good to get back to nature, especially when uh, we can't go outside. So. Yep. <laughs> so, um, Sean, uh, how's everything going? Uh, first of all, happy belated Father's Day. How's the family doing? Everything okay? Thank you. Yes, uh, all seems well. Um Got three boys that are, you know, in their early twenties now, and they're kind of independent, so they're all doing kind of their own thing. But I talked to all of them yesterday, as well as my own father, and everybody from top to bottom seems to be doing pretty well. So, um, knock on wood. Keep up the good work. So, uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about um, is that a lot of people, you know, me and Meg included, uh, have been basically out of work completely because of the COVID-19 outbreak. And um, there is, you know, in time, I believe that we're all going to kind of start kind of reaching to our bootstraps and pulling ourselves back up and coming up with new innovative ways to be successful in this situation. Um, You've actually got a head start on that and things have actually been going quite well for you. Uh, Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, it wasn't really a function, you know, doing anything specific once COVID hit, because frankly, you know, once you're caught in the tsunami of COVID uh, or any similar situation, it's a little too late if you haven't kind of got had set alternatives out, you know, well ahead of time. And so I kind of trace it back to um, the decisions that we made at the company and that I made specifically maybe in 16, early 17 when I realized that if a we didn't own a brand, um, which at that time we were just licensees, so we were just renting names basically to put on products. But if we didn't own something, in addition to if we didn't be, get really good at direct to consumer marketing and selling, um, I didn't. I just felt like instinctively that longer term we weren't going to be barely relevant, if relevant at all. I didn't know that something like COVID was going to come along and how just how important of a role that that decision from three years ago was going to, you know, have on today's environment. But, um, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's kind of about um, having multi multiple opportunities to create revenue, being highly proficient in each one of those applications. And then um, when the macro sort of winds blow, you've got alternatives out in front of you. And that's certainly played out for us um, since, of course, most not much retail shut down. Lots, a lot of our retailers were open because they were essential, like farm and ranch dealers, but they weren't doing anywhere near the kind of business that would have made it necessary to sustain our business. On the other hand, our direct-to-consumer, so all of our marketing dollars started going into direct-to-consumer, um, and the direct-to-consumer business honestly just took off like hundreds of percentages greater than budgeted previously 
and it really changed the nature of our business overall. And it's been really, honestly, the best period at Point Product Works since the company was started. So it's ironic. Um, we're not trying to, um, you know, jump around like a bunch of fools, high-fiving each other. Um, we need to be humble and we need to understand other people aren't having as much success. And we also need to understand that, you know, what goes up can come down and, and other things can change. So we need to, to be vigilant in how we manage the business going forward. But the facts are, um, you know, we were well positioned um, and then, um, you know, it allowed us to not only keep all of our employees, but, you know, continue to thrive and invest in the brand on a long-term basis. So, but the next six months or year holds, I think, is as you know, is anybody's guess. Um, but that's where we currently stand. So I'm feeling pretty fortunate at this point. It's it's interesting because no one, there's no way for anyone to know what the actual impact of COVID was going to be right when it hit. And then on top of that, there was no way to know what businesses were going to thrive and which one was which ones were going to be decimated right from the beginning. So yeah. it's kind of like some certain things just fell right into place. Um, so, Sean, uh, rubbing this hit, uh, you know, a lot of us, especially me, I mean, it's going to be at least in some next year where I can do the majority, get back to my actual legitimate job, if possibly, uh, just depending on what's going on. Uh, I, I was telling Meg earlier, basically, they say the list of exposure, the list of danger, uh, the scale from one to ten, bars are at the very top. They don't mention strip clubs because I think it's like an 11, you know. So until there's a cure or some kind of vaccine or some kind of herd immunity, I don't know what it's going to take, but it's going to be a while until my job can get back into uh, regular operations, if at all. Um, at the time when this first hit, did you, was there any main concerns with you about your situation, about kind of just the industry that you're in, or were you kind of just playing it kind of by ear one day at a time? Well, I mean, of course we, you know, we're, um, I think as concerned as any rational business person or any rational person for that matter would have, would have been. And so, you know, we took some very decisive action up front because it was super uncertain. In retrospect, you know, things make a little more sense, but at the time it was kind of going down, I, I, I don't think anybody knew what was going on. I'm sure. Of it. Um, and so what I did know is that the right play was to cut expenses as hard and fast as we possibly could hug every dollar of cash, push out supplier payments to the extent we were able to, you know, on non sort of mission critical elements, negotiate everything from phone bills to landlord to rent payments to the whole nine yards. I mean, we went top to bottom through every money saving negotiation um, exercise that we possibly could within a few days really of the, of the front end of this thing. So, I mean, we literally packed up our office and moved out within two or three weeks to a new space that was a fourth the price that still gave us a showroom. And then we all went to Zoom. So I didn't know any more than anybody else did about this, but I do know that it's cash to manage the business. And so we needed to hang on to as much of it as possible and cut our expenses as much as possible, which, by the way, did not include cutting any personnel. So um, we were able to hang on to everybody there were some adjustments in compensation and whatnot but um uh we we pretty much uh maintained the status quo on that front and you know as our group discussed we were we had resolved that we would live in kate's backyard if that's what it came down to and if that took a year then it took a year uh we were, were just committed to the business and so kind of whatever it takes and, and everybody was um 
you know, we share a lot of um, core values with one another. And, and uh, so we were very supportive and I was pretty proud of our team as to how we banded together in the face of pretty significant uncertainty, especially for a little company. I think some bigger companies, people were a little, felt a little safer, not all bigger companies, but, you know, these people all know we're basically a startup and emerging. And, and uh, so, yeah, we all pulled together and, and uh, that was, that was kind of where we went into this thing uh, with. So was that mindset? It makes sense. And, you know, what we're seeing is a lot of big companies like Twitter, uh, you know, huge computer companies, things like that, uh, transitioning to all their employees working from home, and they're actually being more productive and saving more money and more efficiency. Uh, do you think that this model uh, in the future is going to be kind of the mainstay for businesses in terms of cutting costs? Uh, do you see it? Like if everything was to go to normal tomorrow, do you think you might – make a little transition to where you kind of got some uh, leasing options and kind of have people work from home more? I, I think the call of the, of, or the, maybe the biggest insight is, is, is to build in my mind anyways, lean agile organizations. So over investing in leasing, leased real estate or over investing even in inventory or, um, you know, I like contract labor a lot as opposed to, um, you know, as many dedicated employees it provides more flexibility and kind of more specialization. Um, I, I think that that's just reinforced. Um, I do think the other side of that coin a little bit is that some people need more interaction than others. Um, I don't think it's probably ever going to go all back to the way it was or to stay all the way it is today. I'm going to suggest that smart leaders will have to create hybridized or customized work scenarios for the teams that they're leading because I think those teams can all be quite different from one another, different personality types, different elements that motivate people. And not everybody's able to sit inside of their apartment for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time and be productive. It's There's a certain amount of downside to that as well. Some are very comfortable with that. Some are not. Um, and that's no different than an office environment. So I don't think there's one size fits all or a, or a model that should be adopted universally. To me, it feels like it's, it's more of a customized solution, which probably involves everything that a little bit of everything that we know about and, and maybe some things we don't at this point. Yeah. I think it takes a certain amount of discipline to be at home working and then not get distracted by Netflix. Uh, but at the same time, or in other things, but at the same time, I think that some people might just react better to being in a structured work environment and have to drive in traffic and go to a building, while other people might flourish just in the home environment and just with the yeah, possibility. So we've tried to implement a variety of tools. Um, I don't really manage tasks anymore. I manage outcomes. So um, the sense that we don't care how what people do or how they do it necessarily, but that we're trying to focus on is not busy activity. It's really substantive. Um, accomplishments that cause the business to be better in whatever you know application that we're talking about at the time. And so we we set up a model where we have a what's called a roll call meeting every Monday morning. It's really a 30-minute meeting with the core 10 members of the team, and we report out to one another about the three, just three, not that we don't all have other things going on, but I'm limited to three objectives that each individual is pursuing to accomplish for the week. And then we have a roll call meeting on Friday morning with that same group of people for another 30 minutes. This is a quick hit where they report back, myself included, as to how much we were, how successful we were in completing those three objectives every week. 
And then in the middle of the week, we have an hour long senior manager meeting where we beat, you know, we beat up whatever the issues of the, at the moment are. And, and, um, and that way we're able to have interaction with one another on a regularly set schedule. We're able to hold ourselves accountable and publicly around objectives that we're trying to accomplish. And um, it's actually been really, really effective. It's worked super good for our company. I'm not sure that's the model for everybody, but for us, um, I feel like it's been quite good. And then, you know, of course, there's a hundred meetings on everything from marketing to sales to operations to inventory to whatever during the week that just kind of customarily happens well. So um, that's kind of how we've been managing it. It's been good. It's interesting because the entire landscape changed and your ability to adapt to it really is going to set the precedence for what companies succeed in the future and which ones, you know, kind of struggle and fail to evolve. Um, yeah, I was a big, you know, in the past I would have been like, you know, want to work from home, quote unquote. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, I would have never really, I never really bought into that mindset. But once we started, once we were, it was imposed upon us effectively, um, then it really just comes down to what, what types of practices and tools can you implement with your team to help people stay motivated and positive and um, on track. And so that's just one technique that sort of roll call meeting Monday, Friday um, thing. I think, you know, if you talk to others, you'll find, you know, other techniques that are worth sharing with other people. And, and uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of things that are being tried out there and, and we're all kind of learning as we go to some extent. So, um, it'll be kind of an interesting study in management and leadership generally um, through this time frame. So there's no doubt lots of lots of information coming our way over the next year or so. It sounds like you guys have a really cohesive team, Sean, you know, and that seems to be, it sounds to me, the whole story you're telling that that's kind of the glue, you know, and, and this whole change has taken place and you've got team members at home and yet there's still this really strong cohesion, whatever kind of, um, rhythm you guys find combination of, of being together and being uh, doing some work for home sounds like it'll really work for you guys what is your strategy for maintaining that deep that deep connection what would you say you would attribute to being able to create that in your team uh, so I think the um, the answer to that in part lies with the fact that we were semi you know pretty flexible even before this um, I started relying on outcome management as opposed to task management some years ago. And the fact is the founders of Dovetail who are partners in the business, um, they're all mothers. And so they have school age children and we, you know, part of doing the deal and building the business together, um, being flexible has just kind of been in our DNA for a number of years now. So I think that was very helpful, you know, just to, be right, to be even more flexible when we had to be because of COVID. So I think that 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 was just part of the DNA in the company. It's at some level, and then you know, I, and so this first whatever it's been ninety plus days, um, there are weeks where things feel a little trickier than others. Um, I think we're starting to hit our stride pretty significantly now in terms of working together and building repeatable processes and really. Um, finding ways to communicate clearly without actually being in the room together. Some of the biggest challenges, you know, we have as individuals and humans from communicating is that we're, um, it's, you know, it's as much on the listener as it is on the speaker at times. And it's, so it's hard to 
make sure people understand what you're conveying or it's hard to you know know who's on board with things and we're finding to make that happen and and again you know it's a pretty conscientious group um and i feel like you know what's worked up to this point in time you know likely will work continue going forward but i think i also need to keep an eye on um what other people are doing that's successful what other companies are doing that aren't successful continuing to study it continuing to um you know look for ways to keep people motivated and, and working together and and, and headed towards a common goal. I'll give you one example that I know was a bit reinvigorating for everybody on our team. Um, I've been putting this off for some time, but last Friday, no, two Fridays ago, we had um, a full day strategic session um, in our office. So we were all there, you know, um, in, in the new office space, which is the first time we've all been in the new office space together, but really coming together as a group, not talking about tactical stuff and how about that one return or that defect in that pant or some other, you know, little tiny problems, but, but working together to craft the vision framework for the next five, 10, 15 years um, was a pretty motivating exercise for the entire team. And, and um, I think came at the right time. And, and, uh, and so that's an example of, of another technique that we've employed is kind of resetting or recalibrating the strategic future as a group now that we're, I don't even know if we're through this thing, but, you know, we're at least at this point in the COVID evolution. And, and so it, this has helped us to, to come even further together, closer together so that we can go further together. And we're going to pause for just a second to take a break so we can run an ad and pay some bills. And we'll be right back in just a moment. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. Okay, folks, we're back at Felony Podcast. Myself and Dick Hennessy are here with Sean Beers. Sean, uh, thank you again so much for being here. And um, you were just talking about some of the strategies you employ as a team leader to have cohesiveness in your business. And you were talking about having everyone um, involved in visioning the future during this particular, you know, unprecedented COVID circumstance as well as in general. And I think that's really inspiring to have, you know, bring everyone in on the visioning kind of empowers your team and helps everyone feel like they have real ownership. I'd be curious what some of y'all's inspirations are. Like, what do you guys do for inspiration? Your brands are so, um, are so fantastic, so well done, so cohesive, so tight. You know, how do you guys pull in great new information to bring to the table to create something as distinctive as you're creating? So honestly, it's, it's in my view, it's not that difficult. And it's amazing how vocal our, 
followers are and our audience and the fans of Dovetail and the consumers of Dovetail. Um, we really get a ton of inspiration from women all across North America and really all around the world, but coming at us from very unexpected places, unexpected occupations, um, unexpected avocations, new uses, and just uh, lots of energy. And it's, it's, um, it's I think we're fortunate enough to be in our space. There are plenty of other apparel brands. There's no other women's workwear brand. And so being the only, I mean, there's of any magnitude of any size, the only, the only one out there um, has attracted a lot of women who I think have been looking for a touchstone in their community, um, meaning work or trades and agriculture, landscaping, et cetera, that just hasn't existed up to this point in time. So we get a lot of inspiration from really providing the content and great products to that consumer base who then in turn feed us with great ideas. So that, that's a major portion of it for us. I mean, that's, that's great to hear. And uh, that is, I mean, Dovetail is an incredible brand, just inevitably the concept itself. I, I said before in the last interview we did together, um, it's just very impressive and inspirational. Um, one thing we talked about, uh, me and you talked on the phone the other day and uh, said that, you know, the people that are succeeding right now are kind of the same people that look for an opportunity in the face of adversity, which is kind of uh, synonymous with Felony and Podcast and all of us that have been on the show and you know, kind of our mission statement. If you so you know, if you were going to say right now, what advice would you give to companies kind of struggling to find their footing in this uh, COVID nineteen situation? Well, I mean, I give it a lot because I teach these series of classes and I talk to a lot of early stage entrepreneurs, and it's you know I think it's. It, if unfortunately, well, I would hope I would hope that most of them would have been doing the things I'm about to say the last three months because that was really a good time to get after um, some pretty deep thinking. Um, but I guess I'll also say better late than never. So if they haven't, then um, the next great uh, or best time to, to start doing something is now. Um, so uh, things like revisiting your strategic plan or building one if you haven't ever built one. Um, really digging through your financials to make sure that you're not uh, leaving money on the table. Um, understanding your revenue streams um, and which ones are profitable, which ones perhaps are things maybe you shouldn't be pursuing. Um, one of the bigger issues for us that's very complex, I mean, for most consumer companies, uh, consumer product companies, is the supply chain. So, just because consumers are going back into stores and just because we've got some good advertising on direct to consumer and just because we've been able to sell through quite a bit of the inventory that we've had on hand, that doesn't mean we're going to get that much further if we don't have a, you know, consistent uh, supply chain that can continue to fulfill our inventory needs and COVID's moving around the world in weird ways. So, um, you know, we're currently manufacturing in Mexico and China and, Pakistan and India, um, Vietnam, you know, we're in six or eight countries and it's different in all those countries. And even if it's not different in that country where it's manufactured, a lot of times the raw materials are coming from another country altogether that themselves, who themselves are having a hard time with COVID or a different sort of equation. So there's so many disruptions in this global supply chain that 
um, you know, it's an active participation sport, frankly. I, I tell <laughs> classes, it's, you know, supply chain management is not call 1-800-CHINA and your stuff shows up. It's, it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of work, um, to get, uh, to the point where you can reliably count on inventory coming in and, and, um, in grade A condition and so on and so forth, especially when you start adding multiple countries to the mix. So, um, you know, I think tearing the covers off of every sort of discrete element of the business is something that I would be doing and that I have been doing since COVID hit, but I would encourage everybody to be doing that. Don't wait for the world to snap back to normal. That I think is a recipe for, um, if not failure, at least under optimizing your business. So I think you really got to get in and start, start uh, peeling back the layers of the onion on every specific area of the business to see where, what its current state is, what it, um, you know, how it evolves over time and, and how it fits into your overall business plan. So that's my, that's a lot to ask for. I get, but that, that's the way it is. And that's what I highly encourage all companies to be doing. Ian, hi. I'll say that again. I just said aim high. Yeah. Um, so basically one of the things I was curious about, uh, you've been on episode 93, seven and 63. Uh, I forgot what number this is going to be, but, uh, in episode 63, you discussed about a situation where you had to deal with the company sports authority going out of business and then going bankrupt. And it almost caused your company to go bankrupt as a result of that. Um, Right now, I think it's kind of the calm before the storm before we see a lot of major companies, uh, you know, like JCPenney. Uh, I could speculate on other ones, but, you know, we're going to see a lot of giants fall uh, in this coming year, two, three years from now. Uh, do you think, are you concerned about that at all? Or do you have any kind of uh, I mean, I, plan? I mean, yeah, I am concerned about it, but here's, I mean, the U.S. has been over-retailed for decades decades there's still too much retail too much of the same stuff you know too close to one another all over the country there's no diff- lack of differentiation is prevalent and it causes you know lack of pricing power for brands and um you know it's why america loves a sale i mean it's just everything's on sale and so that's really not a good recipe for long-term success um it, you know, specifically related to the risks of of businesses, you know, retailers going out of business. Um, you know, we've tightened the screws on our credit analysis significantly. So, if you're an independent dealer, you have got to sign a personal guarantee, or we cannot ship you on credit terms. Um, if you don't plan on paying me, and you're not willing to evidence that through a personal guarantee, then I can't, you know, justify uh, selling products on a 30 or 60 day terms. So, um, you know, that means we'll, we won't sell some customers and we'll lose a little business on that front, but, um, we're not a bank. And so in order to cover some of that off, we've offered a bigger discount for credit card payments on the front end. So let's shift the risk to American express or visa and, um, you can get some airline miles and we get paid and everybody's happy. So, um, that's another, that's one technique that we've employed to try and manage stuff through the smaller um, mom and pop retailers to help them get inventory without exposing ourselves to um, a ton of credit risk. Um, I do think that, you know, getting really good on credit analysis on bigger companies and, and not assuming that, oh, they're so big that they can't fail. Uh, that's a 
that's in fact, the bigger they are, the more likely they are to fail in many cases because they have fixed costs that they can't dodge around. So, um, you know, I just think getting smarter about credit is uh, now is a good time to be doing that. It's, um, to work all hard to conceive, design, source, finance, buy, import, warehouse, ship, bill, and then be not be able to collect the, you know, the receivable. It's, it's you've done ninety percent of the work, and, and um, it's a shame when you don't get paid. And I just think a lot of that's going to be on making sure who you're selling to is are solid, and or finding creative sales programs to. Um, you know, kind of cover yourself so you don't expose your company to too much risk. And those are a couple of things we've done. So that makes sense to me. Um, I remember also in a previous interview you talked about how when you were kind of going up against the Oregon Supreme Court and fighting the uh, Oregon State Bar to get your law uh, license, uh, just to be able to practice law in the state of Oregon. Um, Tim Boyle, who was actually one of the main people of Columbia Sportswear, went to bat for you. And inevitably, you you came out successfully through that. Um, right now, uh, dealing with your hiring practices for Portland Product Works, if let's say hypothetically someone was a felon and wanted to, was interested in getting a job at your company, what what would you be looking for in, in terms of kind of giving someone a second chance and bringing them in? Well, I, I'm a big fan of that for sure. We're you know um, I got introduced to this show through Dave Dahl and Dave put in. in you know, supported anyways a program at his former company, Dave's Killer Bread, around um, hiring folks that were coming back from penitentiaries and, and incarceration, and um, so they had the means to really put a meaningful program together. We're we're real small still, but um, recently, mostly coming kind of through the Black Lives Matter um, uh, resurgence and movement here lately, we've sort formed a internal um, working group of the leaders of the company to um, craft uh, an outline of where our place is within social justice, the social justice world and, and, you know, kind of where it's not like where's our circle of influence versus our circle of interest and what can we be impactful on what fits in with our mission and as a business in an authentic way. And, and so we're in the formative stages of putting together a, a serious program that I expect to live for decades, frankly, um, at Dovetail. And um, part of that is um, obviously um, finding ways that we can support the re-education of um, primarily women, but uh, those that maybe are looking at re-entry or otherwise come from um, less fortunate circumstances but are prepared to be trained in the trades or in construction fields. We found a couple organizations that we may be partnering with here in the near term to create scholarships or 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 fund discrete programs that they might have. Um, so it's a little early in the game, but it's um, definitely something that is in the mix. And um, you know, the criteria for supporting somebody I think isn't all that complex. It's um, as with most successful people that I know and the ones in our business for sure. It's you know, attitude and effort are really the keys and most everything else that we do can be learned. And so, you know, when we find people who, you know, are coming from a different place in life, but are now have the right attitude or now have the right work ethic, I think those are the the threshold uh, elements that I look for. Um, 
that's to me, uh, I advise a lot of people coming out of the penitentiary, um, having been in that situation myself, I speak from, you know, obvious firsthand knowledge, but it's always been my view that if we work hard for, you know, 10 hours a day for 10 years on something, we're, we're going to look back and realize we just made a huge difference in our lives. I mean, it's amazing how that little formula right there can change your life. And, um, and so that's, to answer your question most directly, it's, it's, it's attitude and work ethic and, and those are the gate, the gateways to getting into work with, with me anyways. That makes sense. I mean, I always say the harder you work, the luckier you get. It does work that way somehow. Yeah. <laughs> the darndest thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one, of, one of the things I was wondering about is uh, with, with your work with the Portland Development Commission, um, where you're teaching the curriculum, uh, how has that been impacted? I mean, I'm assuming maybe completely, or have you been dealing with? Well, it's not, we have we have another session coming up in July. Um, we we had one I want to say in March, so it's been a little while since we've had one based on the on the you know the darkness of the kind of the environments generally. Um, I think, you know, we had a couple of ad hoc quick meetings early on with this COVID situation to try and get a gauge on how people were reacting and share some ideas with uh, with one another about how to kind of batten down the hatches or, or, or you know, get yourself prepared and, and uh, so forth. And so there's been some continuity in that process during all this. Um, and we're about to reemerge again next month. Um, we've got a session on the calendar. So those first those last two were Zoom calls. I'm pretty sure this next one will be a zoom call that seemed to work pretty well. Actually. I do miss the interaction with that group personally. Um, not sure it's reciprocated, but in any event, I like being in the same room with them. So we'll see how that plays out over time. Uh, but, but it's, it's continued to, to be, to, to remain on the, to remain alive, just in a slightly altered format, like most of the, most of what we're doing. Yeah, makes sense. Um, do you have any goals, like in terms of whether or not this continues to go, or whether it doesn't? Um, where would you like to see yourself in like the next ten years? Well, I think Dovetail itself is a massive opportunity. The the mission of, around Dovetail is to empower women to thrive in their work and lives. It gives us a lot of latitude as far as where we can spend our time and energy. Today, it happens to be products. Um, tomorrow it could be, uh, you know, educational or service oriented or a lot of different things, frankly, that can fulfill that mission. You know, I describe us as a, as a content company that happens to make pants. So what's inspiring about the brand is the things we talked about earlier. This is all this great user generated content, uh, and the stories of women that, you know, now have adopted our pants as a uniform, but, um, we're doing the stuff they were doing before we ever existed. And, so I think that, you know, continuing to evolve uh, the Dovetail uh, brand and the opportunity there, which is very, very large, in my opinion, um, ought to take up a fair amount of our time over time, um, not just the core business, but also the social justice platform that we're putting in place. Um, and I think those those uh, those are things that 10 years from now, I would love to see fully formed and uh, functioning at a high level to the point where I'm, you know, perhaps not or, you know, limited 
involvement in the in the business uh, by that point in time. So doesn't mean I won't have a passion for continuing to do this stuff, but um, we'll, you know, we may well come across some other big ideas along these lines and and take what we've learned and implement them against um, you know the next big opportunity. But for the foreseeable future, this one's so big that it's hard for me to let us take our eye off the ball. Um, I think we've got a real obligation to our constituency, to ourselves, and um, you know, it's something that's needed in the world. So it feels feels good on a lot of levels, and that's going to be the focal point for the foreseeable future. That's great. And uh, basically, one one last question I have for you that was kind of it's been one bothering me a little bit was again in 2012 you were able to raise a million dollars to launch Portland Product Works. Obviously, Portland Product Works is great. I'm a big fan of everything that you're doing over there. Um, how did you go about, you know, from people listening right now, how did you go about raising $1 million? I mean, it seems like kind of a footnote, but it's very significant in my opinion. Well, it was based on personal relationships that I had developed over years. Um, you know, one thing I start, to, I tell, you know, we, we, you know, we hire, for example, kids that are maybe MBA students or, or, or not kids, but um, they're younger than I am, uh, but MBA students or undergrads even. And, and, you know, that, and that's true for, you know, folks coming out of uh, incarceration and, or really anybody networking is such an important um, function and arguably the most important function you can put yourself through maybe more so than education itself. Uh, they do say it's not what you know, it's who you know. There's a lot of truth to that. And um, I think when you know some things and you know some people, that's a pretty powerful combination when you put them together. So I would say education and networking. But um, I had been, you know, I'm a pretty, um, let's put it this way. I don't think for the last 20 plus years I've ever had breakfast alone. I don't think for the last 20 years I've never not been on the phone if I, when I was commuting to work in the morning. Um that's just using that time wisely, like to, yeah. to develop a relationship with people, even if what that relationship is you giving them things early on, as opposed to them giving you things, you can't expect people that you don't know well, or that you're on the front end of a relationship with, uh, to, to just provide you everything you need. But over time, as you develop relationships and you can support one another and you do that 500, a thousand times, you build a pretty good network of people. And that's, frankly, what I have been doing for a long, long time, lots and lots of years. So when I was in need of wanting to start a company, I had several folks who were, who had known me and seen me operate and were willing to, to, uh, to put some money to work. So it didn't happen overnight. Um, you know, that combined with the experience that I had at Col- developed at Columbia obviously helped, although frankly, between you, me, and the listening audience here, which I don't know how many people that is, but that most of that Columbia stuff was not very relevant for starting your own business. It was great for flying a plane that was already flying, but when you're really talking about going from zero to your first dollar revenue, that's a completely different exercise. And that's one I learned at Corkers, not at Columbia Sportswear. So, um, you know, that combination of getting educated, super, you know, becoming, you know, a master of your craft, and having a large network, I think those are the factors that go into being able to to raise some capital. And that's, that's what I did. I didn't necessarily know that's what I was doing when I was networking previously, but none of us know what is going to be going on in 10 years or 20 years in our lives. So setting those foundations in place now is um, important. You may well find that 
those relationships bear fruit, you know, many years down the road um, in unexpected ways. So I know that sounds a little nebulous, but that's the answer. Well, I completely agree. I mean, the seeds that you plant today are the fruits that you get to bear in the future. So exactly right. And I would say consistency is key. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I would say that your network uh, determines your net worth. So, I mean, you're living proof of that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It matters. Um, so Sean, uh, as always, man, love having you on the show. Great guest, man. Uh, can't wait to have you on again sometime. Uh, do you have any words to take us out with? Uh, anything you want to talk about? Anything you want to promote? Well, I don't want to promote anything, but I do other than the idea that, um, perseverance pays off. So folks that are struggling through the COVID situation with their own businesses or folks that are coming out of incarceration, looking to figure out how the heck they can get their place in the world. Um, I'm a big believer in the power of perseverance and none of this stuff's supposed to be easy. Some of us put us you know, ourselves in bad situations, uh, willingly others are, uh, you know, m- you know, find themselves in situations that really weren't their doing, but, um, regardless of how you got to where you're at and you're struggling to find your next uh, rung on the ladder, I just encourage people to, you know, keep their chin up, march forward. If I can be of any help to anybody, there's anybody in the world that couldn't call me and ask me for some advice. I'm not sure it's, you know, always what you need to hear, but I'm, I've got, I've got my point of view and I'm an open book. So um, I think if you can find others that are willing to support you in those efforts, that's a smart idea, but keep your chin up and keep marching forward. And, and um, you know, there's a, there's a better reality out there. If we keep our, um, you know, attitude good and our work ethic strong, it, it'll, it'll pan out for all of us as individuals. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. Thank you so much, Sean, you know, and uh, as we wind down the show right now and uh, finish it up, I just want to give a quick uh, shout out. Basically, uh, with the Corona-19 epidemic, pandemic, um, you know, talking about all the businesses, the businesses that have the highest infection rates in Oregon, the the business that has the high infection rate is the prison industrial complex. Um, Oregon State Penitentiary is suffering the highest amounts of uh, infections than anywhere else. And that's echoed across the entire country. Um, so right now is, in my opinion, it's a good time to please write, um, please accept phone calls, uh, video chats um, for everyone locked up inside. Right now is a very imperative time to just be supportive. And um, I can't say that enough. Uh, on top of that, I want to thank all you guys. Thank you, Meg, Alon. Thank you, Sean, for being here and being a great guest as always. You're welcome. And um, I want to remind you guys every Friday at 10 a.m. at StartupRadioNetwork.com. You can catch us here at Felony Podcast. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.